You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey, Colorado, Chris Lopez here, and today's podcast is a deal analysis with our strategic partners, Spearhead Commercial Capital. So we've been doing these now for the last six months. We've had tons of interest in general about commercial deal structuring, because we all know like commercial lending is very creative and you can pull many different levels levers in it. But especially now with interest rates doing what they're doing, which is going up, it's become a very different environment. But deals are still being done. Investors are still doing deals. But in this type of environment, lending has become even more important because different lenders, different banks have different programs. And William and Marcus with Spearhead are experts who have the connections and investors bring them their property or their situation. You guys go out there and find the right solution. So today we're gonna talk about an investor who had a lot of multifamily around Denver for decades and then moved those, uh, started moving those properties to triple net properties. So some interesting deal structuring and to why the investor is doing it as well. So good morning, Marcus. Hello, hello. And good morning, William. Hey, Chris. So Marcus, I know you, you ran lead on this deal. So give us the profile, if you could, of the investor here. Like, they owned a bunch of multifamily for, I think you said, a couple decades, but kind of painting the picture of their portfolio and kind of where they are in their investor journey. Yeah. Um, So this is a a couple who inherited some multifamily properties, uh, let's call it 30 years ago. Um, So closely held family assets. These guys were, were... uh, operating these properties in Littleton and the Inglewood area. And they saw a wave of appreciation like a lot of folks had, and they took advantage of a sale somewhere around 2015, 2016, they started uh, selling these assets off. And then as a family, they decided they were looking for some more passive type of investments. And um, for them, they were intrigued by kind of getting a, a pretty well split a portfolio of new triple net opportunities that look like retail and industrial. Um, those were the asset classes they were honed in on. Um, so yeah, these guys have, have done really well. I'd say they have a $25 million um, valued portfolio right now. And we were taking a look at three of their six properties. Okay. Three of their six triple net properties. That's right. right. And so it's pretty common. I mean, a lot of investors have to own, you know, multifamily for decades like this for them to start, you know, transitioning into triple net properties is a very common asset class because they go into more like wealth preservation and just a lot less headaches because it's triple net and they have a lot less responsibility. So they've been buying triple net the last six, seven, eight years. What were you helping with them on these three properties exactly? Yeah. So, uh, we received an introduction to this borrower about 18 months ago. Um, they were playing the game that's pretty typical in the market where they had some prepayment penalties on their current loans. So their three current loans, they had prepayment penalties, but they also wanted to take advantage of the low interest rate market. Um, remember, this was still a low interest rate market when we were talking 18 months ago. Um, so they were, they were playing the game. Uh, there was an opportunity shortly after Christmas for them to kind of pull the trigger and secure a rate um, that would have had some rate savings for them and would have also been a good time for them to pay off their loan because they were in what was called a, a swap prepayment penalty. Um, what is a swap prepayment penalty? Uh, yeah, good question. So it 
it is a, uh, yes, it's a mechanism that's measured off of the treasuries and your loan amount. So rather than just a percentage of your loan being your set fee amount, like a typical like 3% or 2% or 1% of the that's balance, right. it adjusts with the interest rate environment. Mm, okay. That's right. And weirdly enough, when the rates go up, your fees go down. And then when the rates go down, your fees go up. So um, <laughs> I know G- <laughs> generally the reason for that is because the lender then can re-loan that money at, and at the market, higher, higher rate, market right? Rates. Yeah. Yes. That's right. So, so that works like how just bonds work. Exactly. exactly. Okay. So they were playing that, that game. And unfortunately, uh, no one really could have predicted the war that, that came up at the beginning of the year. And that just sent the interest rate environment into full shock mode. And uh, these guys were kind of in a, a pigeonholed environment where their fixed rate scenario just wasn't what it was a couple months before. And and then now we had to get really creative. Oh, so let's talk about this, because this is where I, I always find like the commercial world so fascinating is you can get so much more creative on there. And there's just so many different types of structuring uh, you can do. So um, he was looking to refinance and actually pull some cash out. Like what were his, like his main, like goals with this? Cause I know there was right. a couple things if I recall. That's right. Uh, so the cash out was a heavy emphasis. Um, these guys were W2 employees at the time of, uh, this closing, but they were anticipating retirement. So they wanted to essentially fill their balance sheet with some liquidity. Um, they were in a great equity position, so they had some wiggle room there. Uh, and then another priority was uh, prepayment. Uh, they really wanted to avoid prepayment penalties. Uh, one reason, because of the swap agreement that they were just in and how that kind of compromised their plans. And uh, really, they're planning to sell out their portfolio entirely over the coming years. So they really wanted to have some flexibility around prepayment. So to achieve that, we had talked about uh, lots of different ways to do that. We could do a, a three-year fixed rate loan that had no prepayment, but the interest rate was sky high at that time. We were going to be talking about a 5.5 interest rate. And this gentleman had been proforming, you know, 3.5 uh, fixed interest rates. So quite a shock in the market and to his cash flow. So uh, what we had looked at is uh, doing a, an adjustable rate loan. Um, there are risks with adjustable rate loans, of course, because those rates move more frequently and it it can change your cash flow drastically. But the, um, the, you're talking like monthly or quarterly adjustable rates. That's right. right. Yeah. 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 So they their final agreement was a monthly agreement to adjust, um, which bargained down their rate quite a bit. It allowed for the no prepayment uh, because usually when you take on an adjustable rate loan, there's no prepayments in those scenarios. Um, so he got the interest rate that he wanted. Um, of course, that rate has adjusted up since this closing a couple months ago. Um, but it is an idea of how you can get uh, a lower interest rate in today's kind of crazy environment. So it would take quite a few rate adjustments for him to get to where the fixed rate would have been. Um, so, you know, to the point in the slide, you know, 3.35% is that ship sailed, um, you know, nine to 12 months ago. Yep. And um, so, I mean, for that adjustable rate to go up to where a fixed rate would be, I mean, they're still coming out ahead. Okay, for sure. So even with like continued interest rate increases, they're still going to be most likely better off. Yeah, the short rate environment hasn't moved as drastically, although it's still upward. Okay, Uh, so those are tracking 
um, you know, shorter term interest rates, right? Like it's not a prime based thing. It'd be more like a SOFR, like a 30 day SOFR, um, which used to be LIBOR. Um, that's a whole different podcast of why it's SOFR now and not LIBOR, but, um, those are just less volatile on the daily adjustment than say, um, you know, a prime or a treasury rate, right? Prime, everybody knows prime's going up and, and so for sort of tracks to that, but not as, as aggressively and as volatile as say a treasury would be. Too. Okay. So I'm putting myself in, in your guys, your client's shoes and, you know, think about his goals and debating between, Hey, getting a fixed term and getting, you know, adjustable rate mortgage. How did you help him kind of like figure out what the right one was for? Because imagine there was some modeling, maybe some coaching or yeah. therapy in there. You know, it kind of a lot of times they oh, kind man. of blend together. But that's like, you know, just one of the great things about working with guys like you is you're able to do that. But I'm trying to figure out because I could see that being obviously a very important decision, especially going into retirement. Um, and I've had debates like that myself. How do you guys help him figure out the right solution? Yeah. Oh man. 18 months of pain and <laughs> yeah, lots of spreadsheets actually. Uh, yeah, this is a unique one where this, this, um, gentleman who has, like I said, a great history and great experience in commercial real estate. So he knows this stuff quite well, which we can appreciate. And then on top of that, um, you know, he, he works pretty much as a rocket scientist. So he's very much, um, thinking on a spreadsheet level, let's say. So he little, loves the- Little analytical? Absolutely, analytical um, all the way through. So this was a challenge in that aspect because um, he was always trying to forward predict where interest rates were going. And we never really like to do business that way. We just like to talk about where the environment is actually. Um, but at the same time, I never want to tell a borrower that their thought process is wrong. He's obviously built a very nice portfolio. So it's hard to argue with that. Yep. But at the end of the day, it was a cash flow. Uh, he kind of worked off of the priorities of getting his cash, which we accomplished, um, the no prepayment penalty, which we accomplished, and then you know keeping his debt service at a manageable place, which he was actually saving money, and I still believe he is on his debt service in comparison to where he was even with the cash out. Okay. So even he had going- pretty high interest rates before because that loan was placed, let's call it five or seven years ago. Okay. So. Something else about this loan is it's a, it's a three year term. So after three years, it balloons. Yeah. So okay. the bank in this situation, which another thing here is, you know, this was a scattered site type of scenario. Not all of these properties were just in Colorado. So you have to find a lender that can go to these different markets. So that was another layer of because they were uh, in three challenge. states, right? That's right. Yeah, and three different type of uh, assets really too. So can you tell us the asset in the state? Is that, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any problem with that. So in Florida, um, they had a, uh, a company, which I think most people would be familiar with caliber collision, which mm-hmm. is a nationwide, uh, company. And that would be considered pretty much retail light industrial. Um, and then in, in Texas, they had an oil and gas service company, which I would say no one's really familiar with because it's not a public company, but it is strong underwriting. And the property was essentially built for this company who's been there for 15 years and signs a 20-year lease. So safe at that aspect. And then the property in Colorado was a learning center, um, which gets categorized with uh, categorized with a lot of lenders as what we'd consider special purpose, hmm. um, meaning that you can't just reconfigure these properties as easily as you could a traditional office space. Oh yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, so 
pretty unique um, deal all in all as far as the how the loan was set up. Oh, yeah. And then on the three-year uh, term, how that works is the bank just agrees to keeping this loan on the books for three years, similar to how they would a fixed term. Um, but for them to get the lowest spread, uh, if he would ask for a five-year term, they would have had a higher spread. Okay. So that was kind of the give and take on that. And three year was good for him because it sounds like he'll probably be disposing the property in that time frame. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So this is really cool. So, I mean, he obviously got, or he and his wife got obviously a very great situation tailored to their needs and just adapting the market. Like that's, you know, a conversation I have. I'm like, oh, people go, oh, I want this. I'm like, great. I realize you want this. <laughs> market's over here though. Right. Um, market's not adjusting. Either you need to adjust, we got fighting for market for you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's, you know, it's a tough conversation. That's just the reality of like, hey, you got to roll with the punches on there. So I'm curious from you guys' perspective, because I always see like a lot of the, you know, the value that you you bring to clients, a lot of the deals we've done together is when an investor comes to you, whether it's, a, you know, a buy, you know, acquisition or refi, they come to you with, hey, here's a situation, here's a property type, here's location. And then it just seems like it's a giant, like, you know, I'll say a matrix for lack of better words, you guys compile that underwrite and go out there and talk to, I know, a bunch of lenders in your network. And you're just out there trying to play matchmakers who's got the best product at that time for this scenario, right? That's right. So it's, it's ever changing today. I imagine like in this current environment, that's it just gotta be even like just way, way more difficult or, or I guess more fluid. Uh, I would, difficult's a good word. I think there's challenges in the market. Um, how William and I are spending a lot of our time is just getting up updates from our lenders, right? Somebody who was uh, really competitive last month might not be this month. Um, and I think that's the game that we're playing right now for a lot of folks. You're right. We're always taking people's priorities and that's where we lead to the market. But then we also want to be realistic with folks. Yeah. You know, this priority probably can't be achieved if we really have to get, say, both of these priorities. There's a lot of managing expectations um around where people think things are and where things really are um and then really trying to make sure that what we put out there from our lenders is going to be deliverable for the next you know really 45 60 maybe even 90 days for an acquisition type of um transaction and you know it's it's challenging because as rates go up um you know lenders are constantly afraid of putting something in the books today and then being underwater on that um, in 12 months time, just because of the trajectory of interest rates. So, um, you know, there's a lot of that conversation going on. And I, I mean, do many of these lenders, as you're talking, talking in the early stages, will they lock in the rate or it's like, Hey, here's that is today, but you know, fed meets in three weeks. So may change. It wouldn't say many. <laughs> yeah. Not very many. I mean, um, if you not many do a rate lock, exactly. Yeah, okay. I mean, and if they can, it's going to be kind of a kind of pricey. Because you'll pay a premium for that that insurance policy, essentially, yeah, in right? Yeah, most cases, for sure. Um, okay. Some lenders do just kind of honor term sheets that they put out there for a specific period of time. A lot of them used to do 90 days, and they've um, come the fat. <laughs> I mean, it is a long time right now. Yeah. Sure. Um, so 60 days, I would say, is um, you know something that, that they'll commit to. But anything longer than that, um, and if it's a swap type of product like that, that's costing money on the front end. Okay. So kind of taking a step back from this deal, but just taking all your guys' knowledge and experience and doing deals like this, um, any just general tips or advice or things investors should keep in mind who are in a similar situation as to your clients here as they were 
transitioning from multifamily triple net is part one. The question part two is just doing, looking at some like refinance opportunities, like any additional advice you would like to tell investors out there? Because I know this is a fairly common situation. Yeah, I think the triple net stuff is a lot of fun to explore, um, especially if you're not seeing the value in the different asset classes right now. This is kind of a predictable cash flow, um, which you can't say in a lot of asset classes, just how the lease is designed. So I think a good place to start is looking at some publicly traded companies that you can actually dig into their financials and see their their quality of financials and ability to perform uh, on their leases, because what you're going to see is you might, you might see a 20 year lease, um, which is a beautiful thing. If you just like to sit back and know what your predictable income is for the next 20 years, let's say, and they're responsible essentially for everything in your building. Um, so that would be a fun place to start. And there's a lot of, um, brokerage groups out there that just specialize in triple net. Yeah. Um, and those are, those are good groups to lean on as well, of course, as far as transaction brokers. Yeah. I mean, we've seen a lot of that. We've got a couple of clients right now that are transitioning out of, you know, multifamily, um, selling out of those at, you know, compressed cap rates, right. Four and a half, and then chasing yield on triple net, um, you know, industrial retail type of assets. And they're getting in at, you know, six to seven caps. And those are just step up leases, um, to Marcus's point can be 20 something years long. Um, and you just can see where your exit or where you're building up to in terms of you know, cap rate and return. Um, so I don't know, that's kind of a fun, fun conversation for, uh, for people to look at as it relates to their own portfolio. So, I mean, one of the things that I've, uh, you know, look at, Hey, 20 year lease is great, but if you got a fixed, what 3% of your increase, that's great when we're not at 8.6% inflation. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I have never underwritten for high inflation like that. Um, and I've never done it from like a long-term commercial lease because that's you know, not my specialty. But I'm curious, is the inflation rate and looking at these long-term leases, which I think from the few I've seen, their annual increases are far below 8.5% a year in increase. Yep. Is that changed the way lenders are underwriting a 20-year lease or the way they're underwriting a property? I wouldn't say so because the cash flow is still the cash flow and the debt obligation is the debt obligation. So... I think where they would be weary is, okay, it's a manufacturer and their costs are going to go up because of X. Then I think you could really start getting nitpicky about that. Um, typically how these are, especially a, a deal this size, let's say with full personal guarantees and a lot of equity in it, <clears throat> they're really relying on the personal guarantee and the equity in this situation to get comfortable with it. Now, those are all tenants that we're familiar with. Uh, at least the bank is, um, so they could, there's a comfortability there as well. So I think it, it does go back to the tenant. It goes back to the deal size industry, although we're talking about a specific type of lease. Um, so I think all of those are going to be factors going forward. It's a great question. We we don't see it coming up when we're under okay. deals, um, but it doesn't mean that on the, on the back end. And if we're talking about a $50 million portfolio of just a, you know, some manufacturer of steel, let's say, and uh, they have 20 year leases. And I think there's a conversation to be had about uh, what you mentioned with inflation. Okay. Because I haven't talked to any lenders about that. I've heard a few investors um, kind of bitch and moan about their, like, oh, great. My my increases right now, uh, it was really good five years ago. Not so great at the moment. You know, not, I mean, you know, not that, but it's, it's been interesting um, how that's 
how that's changed. I never thought about the inflation risk involved in that. Yeah, we never talked about that. Yeah, uh, no, it really. doesn't really affect anything other than that's what's chasing rates up, right? I mean, yeah. the Fed's trying to catch up um, or right size inflation by doing these massive increases to short term overnight interest rates, and um, that's why you see, and that will continue until, um, or so they say, will continue until inflation's under control, but. Um, and that's what affects our world is n- no one on the lending side is talking about the inflation other than th- that's how interest rates keep, okay. keep charging forward. Okay. That makes sense. That's a great point though. Well, awesome guys, as usual, great podcast, really cool deal as well. Um, so I want to make sure people can reach out to you. I know you guys have been doing some work on the website, some CRM stuff. So what is the best way for people to reach out to you? What's the process for people to explore their situation, their property with you guys? Yeah, LinkedIn um, can find us pretty easy at Spearhead Mortgage or Spearhead Commercial Capital. And then our webpage, spearheadmortgage.com. We have a contact us page and it is up and running and we'd love to hear from people. So go there, fill it out, or should you guys email, give a phone call and just kind of go Absolutely. through process? Yeah, it's not a, uh, it's a pretty easygoing conversation in all reality. You yeah. know, we, we can only help people that we can help uh, and we can confirm with you that you either have a good deal or we can't help you or we can't, you know, so it, it's a pretty straightforward conversation and, uh, the numbers tell the story in a lot of situations. So, yeah, I know it's some legwork on the front end to submit a contact us thing through our website, but it really does help us if you have kind of an active project that you're working on that you can give us some, some details or give us a scenario to talk through. Um, that helps a lot. It'll be more, you know, informative for you as a, as an investor mm-hmm. to give us some details on the front end. And then we circle up via call. That way we can do a little bit back, you know, backroom underwriting and, and market analysis on at least that market or that specific property. Um, but yeah, always happy to talk to people about what we're seeing and how it relates to their situation. Perfect. Well, Marcus, William, thank you guys so much. Like let me on the podcast. Uh, can't recommend you guys enough. We've done, I know a bunch of deals with you guys, all we've heard from our agents, our happy agents, our our clients and your clients, they've all been happy as well. So you guys need commercial lending needs, definitely reach out to these guys. They'll Thank take you care so of much. you. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Awesome. We'll see you guys next week. All right. Thank you.